Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Beer giant Heineken, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and Starbucks. You know, Coca-Cola pulled out of Russia, McDonald's pulled out of Russia, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, they all pulled out of Russia. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. We have not seen that from crypto exchanges so far. Sam Sutton covers crypto and fintech for Politico's financial services team. So the core of this story is really about the desire among some for crypto companies to do the same thing that traditional businesses have been doing. As financial sanctions hobble the Russian economy, cryptocurrency remains a question mark. Crypto ecosystems have allowed Ukraine's government to quickly raise more than 60 million in digital assets to support its war effort. But Russia's war with Ukraine has also refocused attention on how bad actors can use digital assets to hide payments and evade regulation. Um, There's not been much evidence or any evidence really that Russian oligarchs institutions are using these exchanges or these services to evade sanctions at any meaningful scale. But... Because these exchanges offer, you know, some form of financial services to ordinary Russians, they're under a lot of pressure to uh, stop doing that so long as there's this conflict in Ukraine. Today, how crypto and digital asset firms may be forced to play by the same rules as traditional financial institutions, and whether the cryptocurrency industry will block access to Russia. Russia was already known to be a place where a lot of like crypto-oriented ransomware attacks and and illicit activity originated. Treasury had previously identified uh, digital markets as a potential threat to sanctions programs. And crypto is now at a point where there's much more mainstream adoption of it than there was, you know, even a year ago or two years ago. So folks are paying a lot more attention to this industry now than they were in even early 2020. And so they're under pressure to behave more like regular banks. You had this great line in your piece that I love that was like, behave more like the institutions that they're trying to disrupt, which doesn't that kind of, you know, fly in the face of what makes them different anyway? Yeah, I think it's it's a couple things. One, yeah, as these companies, as crypto companies become more institutionalized, as there's mainstream adoption, There's going to be more regulatory scrutiny and there's going to be more just kind of like typical scrutiny that you see of companies in the American political discourse generally. They're going to be asked to do things that might not be as as freewheeling or libertarian as their original thesis. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of these exchanges and and industry leaders push back. You know, the, the point of crypto from their perspective is to democratize financial systems, to make it easier for folks to make payments and and to transfer their assets without having to go through a a financial intermediary like a bank or a credit card. Mm -hmm. And they think that cutting, you know, ordinary Russians off from those services would ultimately do more harm than good. They think that they might be hurting folks who are, you know, ultimately against what Putin's doing in Ukraine right now. Yeah, I've seen Elizabeth Warren talking about this a lot lately, and she and other kind of crypto hawks have launched a bill in Congress about regulating crypto in this space, right? Yeah, it, it kind of a kind of a crypto hawk is is a, it's an understatement. I think a little bit. She she's <laughs> always been very 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 skeptical uh, of this digital asset markets and, and, and the crypto industry at large. 
these are ecosystems that happen in the headlines a lot for ransomware attacks and scams and rug pulls and all sorts of bad behavior. You know, folks in the industry will point out that there's no, no shortage of that in the tra- traditional financial system as well. But because uh, crypto is new, because regulatory oversight of the industry is um, still sort of an open question, and, and there's a lot of, you know, a big reason for Biden's executive order was to kind of get some clarity on that. You're going to have folks saying that there needs to be a much stronger crackdown on crypto services, on crypto platforms until uh, Washington can get, get its arms around it. And so to what extent would Warren's bill keep crypto from doing what she doesn't want it to be doing? You know, I think that that's, that's really hard to say. Centralized ex- crypto exchanges are already, you know, particularly ones that operate in the United States, they're already subject to um, know your customer rules, to enter anti-money laundering rules. You know, they've been pretty public in, in, in insane and in, in, in trying to demonstrate that they're complying with the uh, sanctions as they're currently structured. Um, kind of as a point of fact there, Coin, Coinbase published a blog a couple days ago saying that they had already, um, I forget the exact verbiage, but, you know, frozen, suspended, blocked some 25,000 Russian accounts that are linked to illicit activity. Now, many of those were, you know, pre-invasion, but I think they were making the point of like, we already are doing this and we were doing this when there wasn't attention being paid or as much attention being paid to this issue. Mm-hmm. What Warren's bill will do, I think, is is attempt to extend that type of oversight to uh, decentralized protocols, to um, service providers, to, to software companies that allow folks to um, transact outside those centralized exchanges. I think that's ultimately the end goal of it. Whether or not it would be successful, I mean, I, I think that it, we, it's just impossible to say, impossible to know right now. One quote that was in this piece that you wrote that I thought was really interesting was Representative Brad Sherman, big-time crypto critic, and he talked about how MasterCard, Visa, American Express had cut themselves off from Russia. And he said, in the United States, these crypto exchanges aren't doing it. Why are they choosing to be less moral than Visa and MasterCard? Which just putting the moral question on that was really fascinating to me. Where does morality come into this? Yeah, I thought, you know, that as soon as he said those words, that's why I, I kind of knew that was going to be a quote that I used in the story. And I think the reason why I wanted to use that quote in the story, and I think Jerry Brito gets to this in a blog post that's linked to in the story. He's the, the head of Coin Center, which is a, um, a think tank that deals with crypto issues. You know, I think that there are a lot of folks in the industry who would say it would be immoral to suspend these services to Russians. You know, this is providing a lifeline to folks who have nothing to do with the conflict or are, have nothing directly to do with the conflict and are not under sanction to unilaterally just freeze their accounts would be unfair and wrong. So I think that, you know, it's that's not to get too, like, philosophical here, but I do think, like, morality is a little bit in the eye of the beholder here. Yeah. Representative Sherman clearly has a a very clear point of view on what the right thing to do is here, which is to shut off service, all service to Russian individuals and institutions. And I think the uh, folks in the crypto industry have a very different understanding of what the right thing to do is here. And um, Representative Brad Sherman's quote, basically it's to the point of like, he believes that that 
what the Visas, the MasterCards, the MXs have done, that's the moral thing to do. Yeah. What the crypto companies are, what crypto exchanges are arguing is that crypto is intended to you know, democratize finance and make it easier for folks to access financial services. And that while they'll comply with sanctions and, and do all that they can to make sure that institutions and individuals who are you know, banned from using their services are in fact blocked from those services, they're not going to cut off access to markets that they deem essential for customers who aren't under sanction. So this is, you know, this is kind of a story about, you know, two very different approaches to what's the right thing to do here. It's an interesting point, though. I mean, I was talking to one of our energy reporters, Ben Lefebvre, the other day about blocking Russian oil imports. And he was saying that as big a deal as that is in certain ways, like it's also become kind of a calling card for American patriotism, right, where it's an attractive thing politically. And I think that's the that's the type of pressure that's being exerted on these exchanges right now is by providing services to ordinary Russians, they are not being supportive of enough of Ukraine. The industry's like response to that has been one, no, and two, some of the same companies that are, are refusing to leave Russia are also raising money for Ukrainian NGOs and other kind of pro-Ukraine groups. So it's it's hard to draw a clear line there. I think this is more kind of a question of how how folks believe crypto should be used in the in the current financial ecosystem. And that and that's and that's where that goes back to that morality question too. Like the Brad Shermans and the Elizabeth Warrens of the world would say we need to just fully we need to have arms around this and we need to fully cut off and folks who are um, pro crypto would say well, you know, we're we're providing services to folks who need it. And this is not a, um, we're not taking a moral position in doing that necessarily. What do you think the general public might misunderstand or or not get about this? I think the primary thing that the general public misunderstands, and I think this is something that the industry uh, criticizes in coverage of this a ton. And I, I, to, to be blunt, is, has been criticized in my coverage of it as well, and it's important to, to listen to that criticism, is that this story is not necessarily about sanctions. It's about services to people who are in countries that are um, where many major institutions and individuals are currently under sanction. So that's one aspect. And then the second aspect that I think is commonly misunderstood is that Crypto so far has not been a particularly useful tool for Russians who are under sanction and want to get out from under those sanctions or or get a haven from those sanctions. I think those are the two most commonly misunderstood things right now. Sam Sutton, thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome. Thank you. Also in the news, White House officials on Thursday warned that key pandemic programs could soon run out of money if Congress fails to quickly authorize $15.6 billion in new COVID-19 funding. On Wednesday, the House of Representatives stripped the funding from the larger $1.5 trillion spending package after several Democrats objected to paying for the aid with money that was originally earmarked for their states. But now lawmakers and public health advocates fear that Democrats may have made it easier for Republicans in the Senate 
to vote against additional COVID funding that they've been wary of from the start. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Brigmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our executive producer is Jenny Amend. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>